So let me read the word. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of your body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Pastor James. Good morning, everyone. Today we are continuing in our sermon series, The Upside Down Kingdom, where we are unpacking Jesus' seminal teachings found in the Sermon on the Mount. This is all about the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is one that is always going to be at odds with the kingdoms of this world, hence it feels like it is upside down. Now, what can happen to a lot of us is that, you know, something that happens to me all the time, is we can begin to see reality through worldly lenses rather than kingdom ones. I find myself in a place where I realize that perhaps I've been more discipled by my culture than I have been discipled by Jesus. That rather than having perspectives and beliefs and behaviors that resemble Jesus, I have ones that resemble the world around me. And the things that Jesus is confronting in the hearts of, the, of, of Jesus followers in this passage that we just read... Um, and that I think needs to be con confronted in the hearts and minds of Christians living in the West, including myself, is this idol. Jesus is confronting idolatry, and he's confronting worry, specifically when it comes to the idol of materialism, which is one of the more prevalent false gods here in the Western world, and he's confronting worry specifically when it comes to uh, our physical needs. How many of you like having stuff? Be honest. <laughs> we like having stuff, right? I wish I didn't like having stuff, which is kind of the point of this whole teaching. So when I was a kid, I remember um, I had this best friend. We'll call him. He's a real person. So <laughs> he was a real person. <laughs> I had an imaginary friend. No, I had this, I had this best friend. We'll call him uh, John, okay? And um, I went over to John's house, and he had everything. I mean, he was the kid that had, like, 
every collector's item of every toy you could possibly imagine. He was really into like WWE, right? So he had like the figures of like The Rock and like The Undertaker and all the things. And I was, he had all the video games, he had all the Pokemon, right? Like he had everything. And it was like a 90s kid's dream, this guy's room, right? And I was so jealous. And I remember I went home to my mom later and I was like, Mom, John has so many, so much more toys than I do. And she looked at me and she said, and he always will. <laughs> Which, good response. I was like, I, I'm going to save that for later. Um, this, this idol of materialism, it's pervasive in our culture, isn't it? These two teachings that Jesus gives, where he confronts idolatry and confronts worry, they could be handled separately, but they're actually two sides to the same coin. See, it's all about where we as humans put our trust, right? Experiencing worry, this is a normal human emotional reaction that we don't have a ton of control over when we feel worry. It just kind of happens. Choosing to believe worry, choosing to live in worry, choosing to stay worried, this actually is a sign of a lack in trust in God. Because we always trust something, right? We always trust something. And if we aren't trusting God, then we're trusting something else. And that is idolatry. Do we put our trust in God? Or do we put our trust in material wealth? And this is one of those questions where on paper, it's like, of course I want to say I trust God more than I trust material wealth. But just so happens that this, these teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, this happens a lot, where understanding what Jesus is trying to say intellectually, it's not actually that difficult. It's not actually that hard to understand what he's trying to teach us. But it's a whole, matter, whole other matter to get what we're understanding in our minds to take that 18-inch journey from the head to our heart to begin to really integrate what he's teaching into our souls so that they become second nature. This is why we value uh, the four values that we have. One of them is holistic spiritual formation because this is how things like teachings of Jesus work their way into my heart so that they become second nature, that I become the kind of person that I don't even have to think about exhibiting spiritual fruit because that's who I am. And that kind of journey of, of, of formation is difficult for us. And just so you know, today's teachings of Jesus, for your pastor, for me specifically, uh, they were fairly straightforward for me to understand intellectually. But as I unpacked the meaning of these words, the wisdom of these teachings, um, I realized that there's a lot about these truths that had yet to make their way into my heart. That although I understood them intellectually, I, didn't, I don't know if I truly believed them in my heart. And just so you know, you and I are going to be equal recipients of Jesus' wisdoms and teachings this morning, which is always the case, but it felt extra true today. It has to go deeper than what we think. It has to go into our hearts. Because it looks like that Jesus, what he wants for us, is a life in which we are content with what we have and where we are free from worry to pursue the kingdom of heaven because we have a deep trust in God. But the problem is that we don't let Jesus do that for us because he's always competing for worship with the things of this world. We often find ourselves being discipled by the values of Babylon rather than by the values that he's trying to instill in us rather than the transformational love of Jesus. But there's good news. God is gracious. He's patient and he's kind and he knows that sometimes it takes a long time for us to bake, right? It takes a while. And although we may have gotten it wrong yesterday, we have our opportunity to step into truth better today. 
And even if we get it wrong today, we have an opportunity to get it better tomorrow. Because guess what? The love of God is pursuing you. The love of God is pursuing you. So today we're going to unpack these teachings and bring some uh, clarity to some of the cultural context and examine what it looks like for us today as we follow Jesus from fear and into love. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come, that you would fill this place a fresh wind, that as we breathe deeply, we would breathe in your presence and we'd breathe out worry and anxiety. Lord, in this place would we learn to trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that Jesus talks about here in this teaching is treasure and hearts. Treasure and hearts. Um, he tells them, do not store up your treasures on earth because moths and vermin can come and destroy and thieves can come in and steal. So don't store up your treasures there. Store them up in heaven where moths and vermin can't touch it, where thieves cannot break in and steal it because where your treasure is, there your heart is going to be. Now, when Jesus is talking about treasure on earth, he's talking about material wealth. Remember, his kingdom is a kingdom that is not of this world, right? So the, the, his, his kingdom is heaven. So the things that Jesus treasures, the things that he values as the king of this kingdom, they're going to be different than the things that this world values. And he's saying nothing on, of value on earth is permanent. It's not permanent. So to invest your heart and your trust and your affection into things that can be taken away from you, that's a good way to set yourself up for devastation. In the end, everything down here has a 0% ROI. There is no return on investment on anything on this earth. But the wealth that Jesus offers us, no one can touch it. It cannot be taken away. There is eternal value. In the Gospels, Jesus teaches that it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to participate in the kingdom of heaven. And why is that? Well, a rich person feels that they have more to lose to follow Jesus. Because to follow Jesus means that I leave behind everything I have for myself, and I follow him. See, to say yes to Jesus is to acknowledge that everything I own is now under the lordship of Jesus. I go from being an owner to being a steward. I am no longer the ruler of my life. I am a steward of it. And for someone who's too afraid to leave behind the accumulation of wealth that they have for themselves, they reveal where their heart is. It's not in the things of the kingdom. It's of material treasures. They don't treasure the kingdom. So the heart. The heart was understood to be the epicenter of a person's desire and a person's willpower. So what we treasure, what we value, tends to say a lot about what we uh, desire, what we want, and about where our will goes. And this is why spiritual formation is about so much deeper than what we just think. Because before we, what we think and what we will affects our lives, it's actually what we love that shapes us. Who we love and what we love will shape us. We begin to look like who or what we love. So if we love greed, we begin to look like greed. And Jesus is drawing this contrast, and he's teaching the people of the kingdom their hearts will not desire and value the same things that the world does. The kingdom value systems, the economy of the kingdom is upside down. The kingdom economy is upside down. And then Jesus provides this interesting analogy. He says that the eyes are the lamp of the body. So there was this interesting belief back then 
that the, your eyes actually emitted light themselves. So you could actually emit light from your eyes to see, and that light both went outward and went inward. Now, the physics enthusiast in me really hates that, but whatever. It was a common conception at the time. And um, uh, he's saying that if, you're, if your eyes are healthy, then you're going to be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, then you're going to be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, he says, how great is that darkness? This analogy is all about perspective. Perspective. With what eyes do you see the world? With what eyes do you see the world? Because see, greed will deceive you into thinking that you can see clearly. But greed is only darkness. So if the light within you, if the perspective that you have is darkness, you will be lost if you choose to follow it. What hope is there for clarity in your heart and in your mind? If we see the world from a kingdom perspective, if we have eyes to see the world around us as Christ sees us, this is truth. This is clarity. This is light in us and through us. But if we're seeing the world through eyes that are unhealthy, with a perspective that is skewed, a perspective that has, has wandered away from Christ's intention, what hope is there for us to see clearly? Even the light that we have will be darkness. So what Christ is after in us is a new perspective. A new perspective. Jesus is challenging his followers to be participants in his kingdom, to put on a new perspective, to understand that what qualifies as wealth in this world is not wealthy in the kingdom of heaven. And that goes all the way back to the beginning of the sermon, to the Beatitudes, right? He says, blessed are the materially wealthy, for God has shown how much they love them. He loves them. No, he says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, ground zero for the work of spiritual formation in our lives is an acknowledgement of our spiritual poverty. Ground zero for the work of spiritual formation in our lives is the acknowledgement of our spiritual poverty. We are to be rich in humility, to realize that what we need is not material wealth, but spiritual wealth. To be wealthy in the kingdom is to be wealthy in things like joy, to be wealthy in gratitude, wealthy in patience, rich in peace, abounding in the fruit of the Spirit. Those who are spiritually wealthy can have things like peace, hope, and joy, even if there's an absence of material wealth. Because material wealth is not our treasure. Therefore, it doesn't have my heart. I can't be poor if I don't value what I don't have, (laughs) right? And all people who achieve material wealth, who have become rich in the areas they've always wanted, at the end of all of that, do you think there's joy? No, there's there's emptiness in that. Because that's not what our hearts long for the most. To to quote the famous theologian, Mike Tyson. (laughs) No, it's interesting. Actually, look up this interview. It's fascinating. So they're doing this interview with Mike Tyson and some podcasters, and I don't know what the language is like. Caveat. Um, But in this clip that I saw, they're asking Mike Tyson about his time in prison. And he says that his three years in prison were the best years of his life. And the dudes that are interviewing him, they're like, what are you talking about? 30 million for one fight. And you say prison was the... And he said, guys, all of that means nothing if you don't have your peace. And then he said this, and I've been reflecting on it ever since. He said, God punishes you by giving you what you want to see if you can handle it. 
See, God wants us to be with him forever. He wants that. But God won't force us to worship him. He will give us over to our sinful desires if that's what we really want. He won't stand in our way. But he's always reaching out a hand of forgiveness and grace behind us, waiting for us to repent, waiting for us to turn around and accept him. He desires for us to be with him, but he won't force us. And what we think we want is more. More money, more wealth, more possessions, more status, more respect, more degrees, more job offers, more, more. And then what? What's at the other side of more? Nothing. It will never be enough. More will never be enough. And that's real emptiness. Spiritual emptiness comes from believing the lie of more. Spiritual emptiness comes from believing the lie of more. Another theologian, Jim Carrey, he said this. He said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous in everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. This is Jim Carrey, one of the most successful actors and comedians in our day. He said he got it all and it meant nothing. See, what do a rich person and a poor, a poor person have in common? They both wish they had more money. See, wealth is not about having more. It's about changing our definition of what's valuable to us. True wealth is about changing our definition of what is valuable to us. And this is why, before Jesus starts talking about trusting God to provide the things that we need, he first needs to confront the idolatry of material wealth, the idolatry of what we think we need. See, to to conclude this confrontation of idolatry, he says, no one can serve two masters. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. When we think we, we, we are, are having mastery over money, really master, money's having mastery over us. We end up serving it. We become a slave to it. Greed doesn't make money serve us. It makes us serve money. That's what greed does. Now, the word for, for Greek, or the word for Greek, work with me. Um, the word for money here is mammon. And it's treated almost like this personification of greed itself. See, material wealth wasn't just seen as like a neutral agent that had no power. It was almost seen as like an evil spirit that had an agenda. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not teaching that wealth itself, that possessions and resources were itself a sin. But he said a love of them, an overdependence on them, an idolization of them. That's when wealth goes from being a tool for us to use into a God that we worship. We have to confront that idol before we can really trust God. Because the reason we can't trust God to provide for us is because we're trusting in something else more. We're trusting in mammon. What we can see with our physical eyes can be taken away from us at any moment. Nothing is certain. It's not wrong to put away money for retirement. It's not wrong to think about our future and invest. It's not wrong to do those things. It is, however, unhelpful to depend on those things because they're not promised to us. What we are promised is our daily bread, what we need for right now. That's what's promised to us. We have to see from a kingdom perspective. How many of you have ever started making more money, like you got a new job or you got a raise and you thought, awesome, I'm never going to need anything else ever again? (laughs) It's interesting, right? Like our our, uh, instinct is not to say like, perfect, I'll never need more than this. Our, our, Our worrying about material wealth, it's like a vacuum, We make more money, we find more things to worry about, right? 
More money, more problems, Stanley, right? That's, that's what we do. Honestly, this idol, it will consume us if we let it. It will. Here's a, here's a good test for whether or not something has become an idol in our lives. Could we bear the thought of losing it tomorrow? Now, I'm not talking about loved ones. I'm talking about things that compete for worship in our lives, things like wealth or pleasure or power and influence, reputation. Could you bear the thought of losing that thing tomorrow? Because if there's something that within you causes great anxiety or worry at the thought of not having it, perhaps it's gone from, becoming a, from being a tool in your life to becoming a god. Perhaps it's become an idol. See, the kind of faith that Jesus is after is a singular kind of faith. We can't give him half. When Jesus becomes the Lord of our life, he's not, okay, let me be the Lord of your life in these areas, these areas, these areas, but these over here, I'm not too concerned about those. No, if we want the joy that's promised to us, we have to abide in the vine. Everything I have has to come from him. Joy only comes with obedience. If our standard for treasure is the same as our world's, it's going to look like God's not providing for us. If I value what the world values, God is doing a very bad job giving me what I need. But he's not valuing what the world values. If we find that we value the kingdom, we'll discover that he has actually met our needs more exceedingly and abundantly than our most materially wealthy people on the planet. He has met those needs. Because our treasures are untouchable. They are indestructible because they are of heaven. Now, this is why for me and my family, giving to the church has become a, a rhythm of spiritual discipline, one that can feel really difficult at times. And I know some of you are like, oh, here we go. Pastor's talking about tithing. Listen, we're doing good. <laughs> we're doing really well. The council didn't write to me and say, like, hey, it's time for a sermon on giving because things are looking bad. That's not what happened. It's just in the teachings here, okay? It's just what Jesus is talking about. Whether or not you're giving to Red Hills financially, this is actually beside the spiritual point that I'm making. Okay, so let's set that aside for the moment. Do we believe giving to the church is important? Yes. What we give, and by the way, this community is robust and generous, and what you guys give makes all this possible. Our ministry partnerships, local and global, providing a, liberal, uh, a living wage to our ministers so that they can dedicate their time and resources to discipleship and spiritual formation, keeping the lights on, yes, yes, yes. All that stuff happens and it's real. But here's the thing. Whether or not you give to the church and whether or not it really moves the needle for us is beside the point. My wife and I don't give to the church because if we didn't, the church would fall into financial ruin. It's not why we give. We give to the church as a spiritual discipline because it's a reminder when we give that nothing I have is really mine anyway. This is a symbol. Everything I have belongs to God, so I'm just going to lay it at the altar because it's not mine anyway. When we say yes to Jesus, we ask him to be the Lord of our lives, and now I've become a steward of everything under my possession. It's all his. And it's my privilege to foster it and care for it and invest it and to use it for his kingdom purposes. And there have been times in the past where times have been tight and pushing that give button on the website has felt like a real act of faith, right? Inflation is real. Tucker knows. <laughs> Inflation, was that Tucker? I don't know. Um, I heard a baby. Uh, it was actually just James. <laughs> um, <laughs> Filter lane, filter, okay. <laughs> Look, I know, I know things are hard right now, right? Like inflation's real. 
Costco runs are getting more and more expensive, right? It's, it's hard. Things are tighter than they are expected sometimes. And sometimes we get ourselves into debt. And that can feel insurmountable. It's not about how our contribution makes something possible. It's, it's about how it encourages me to trust in God. And if, here's the other thing. If things get legalistic and weird and I'm like choosing to tithe or pay my electric bill, that's also not the point. It's not about tithing at all costs. That's not what this is about. It's about acknowledging a rhythm that says nothing I have really belongs to me anyway. And if I lost it all, I am still wealthy in the eyes of the Lord. That I have everything that I need. That there's no financial hardship or circumstance that can take away the joy that he's given me. The peace that he's given me. Our economy is upside down. In James chapter 1, the apostle writes this. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Believers in their humble circumstances. He's saying people who are poor, take pride in your high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even as they go about their business. It doesn't last. It doesn't last. What would our lives look like if we came to Jesus and we renounced everything we had? Maybe not literally, like selling our homes and giving it to the poor, although if God asks you to do that, great. But what if we came to him and we acted as if everything that under our possession was already his? That what I'm doing is stewarding what belongs to someone else. If we can get there, then the, the lordship of Jesus in every area of my life, that's when I can really say that I trust him. And this is where Jesus turns to the other side of that coin. He's confronted the idolatry. Now he's going to confront the worry. And he says, do not worry about your life. <laughs> every time I hear that, I'm like, okay, great. Thanks for the tip, Jesus. Don't worry about my life. He says, don't worry about things like food and clothing. He says, is your body more than food and, and life more than clothes, right? He says, this life is about more than this. And he, and he talks about the birds of the air and the grass of the field. And he says, look how God cares about these things. And then he says, and look at you, who are made in the very image of God. Does he not care about you way more than he cares about those things? Now, I don't have the data to back this up. But I think there's enough food on the planet for everyone to eat every day. And this is where I want to take a little detour because I think there's an ethical equation for us that's put at our feet in this teaching. There's a sort of charge, I think, for those of us who have the privilege of wealth, especially here in the West. Even the poorest of us are some of the wealthiest around the world. The only reason people don't get to eat every day is because of greed, global greed people and economies taking more than what they need. And this is why we as Christians, I think especially those in the West, who rarely tr face true starvation, that we are to war against things like food insecurity in our communities and around the world. That we as people of God should be standing between starvation and those who are made in God's image. There's even a ministry in Newburgh that shares a free hot meal five days a week to anyone who wants it. And you can volunteer for that on the website, by the way. But the whole point of this is because we know God's heart for us is that we have everything that we need every day. And so part of what our heart should be for the world is that they have everything that they need every day. That no one goes without their basic needs, goes without food, because the church is here. We're the body of Christ. Where the body of Christ is, there should not be things like starvation. 
All right, detour over, but I thought it was important to talk about that. Point is, God values you so much more than he values the birds of the air. And he provides all of our daily needs if we seek his kingdom. He gives us what we need for today. That's why the Lord's Prayer doesn't say, Lord, give us our cumulative wealth which pays in dividends as time goes on. He says, give us today our daily bread. Give me what I need right now. And then he says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Oh, every time, every time I hear that, it gets me. How much time do I waste worrying, staying up late at night, thinking about the things I have no power to fix? How much life do I waste? How many times where I, where I could be present with my kids and enjoying the simple things that they're doing Am I snapping at them because of something that I'm stressed out about? How much time do I waste not being present and having gratitude for what God has put right in front of me? I had an interesting week. I've had some stuff, and I've had some friends going through some really hard things. And I, I was not the best version of myself this week. I know none of you have ever been there. But I was grumpy. I was short. I was not proud of how I was responding to my kids, to my wife, and I got a big heart check. And I realized, like, I'm living in, I'm literally preaching on this, and I'm living in worry. And then I decided, you know, let's, let's go on a walk. <laughs> let's just get out of the house, let's go on a walk. And we went on a walk, and guys, Oregon is beautiful right now. The colors, I mean, golden trees that are almost glowing the, the vibrant reds and the oranges and leaves on the ground. My son just, his first instinct is to grab the pile of leaves and throw them up in the air. And I'm like, why am I not paying attention to this? So much beauty all around me and I'm consumed with my own problems. He says, don't worry about your life. It's statistically shown that worry and stress will, will take a toll on your long-term health, won't it? It'll make you sleep less. It'll give you all kinds of chronic health issues. Now, I can't prove it, but I think that there are a lot of Christians around the world who are probably a lot more happy than I am, and they have a lot less. See, living in worry, that's a choice, and it's a sign that I lack trust in God, that I'm trusting in something else. It's a sign that I'm valuing things and treasuring things that are not of heaven. So here's, here's something to think about. My anxiety is not contingent about how much trouble I face in my life, but rather how much treasure I store up on earth. My anxiety is not contingent about how much trouble I face in my life, but how much treasure I store up on earth. If what I value most in this world is always at risk at being, of being taken away from me, of course I'm going to worry about it, because it's not permanent. There's no, there's no hope for it. But if what I value is not of this world, it cannot be taken away from me, so why should I be afraid? And Jesus draws this parallel between the pagans and those who follow him. He says the pagans run after all these things. Here's the thing with pagan gods. They were like these petty toddlers that lived in the sky that were very angry and temperamental, and you had to convince them to not throw their wrath on you or to bless you with rain or with fertility or something. And, and Jesus is saying your God is not like those gods. Your God values you and treasures you and cares about you so much, so when you worry, you're showing him that you don't believe he is who he says he is. That he is good. And he knows what you need. 
So Christ is inviting us out of this anxiety into his peace. When we submit ourselves to his lordship over every area of our lives, we find something far more than material security. We have immaterial peace. When I truly have the peace of God, thieves can break in and steal, but they have nothing to take from me. Vermin and moths can destroy, but they can't touch my peace. Then he says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That should be just tattooed on my forehead, honestly. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Friends, when we face things like financial hardship, or we feel like ends are barely meeting, it can feel really overwhelming, right? There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of worry. And just know that those things, that's not Christ's heart for you. He doesn't want you to feel those things. Christ's heart for you is one of grace and forgiveness and patience and transformation and mercy. One of the analogies used to talk about sin in the Bible is debts being paid. (laughs) In the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Even if we have debt in this world, our debt is forgiven in the spiritual realm. How beautiful is that? So the final point of reflection I want to leave us with is this. How much more does he love you? See, we've been talking about more. I want more. I want more. What's interesting is that what we want more of most of the time has limits. And it will never be enough. And what there is always more of, we never seek. God's love is always far more than you could possibly imagine. However much you think he loves you, double it and double it and double it. There's more love. Paul writes about it. He's like, it's going to take all of us to grasp with all of the saints throughout all of history to actually grasp even a glimmer of how deep and wide God's love is for us. So the question is, how much more does he love you? That's the kind of peace we can have, that we are loved by God. So if you want to take out your communion elements, this is the representation of Christ's love. Saving your soul was expensive. Do you know that? Saving your soul was at a high cost. And Jesus felt it was worth the price to pay. Jesus felt that forgiving your debt was worth it. Now, if you have yet to accept Jesus as Lord of your life, I want you to just hold these elements in your hands for the moment. This is a practice that is reserved for those who call Jesus Lord. But I'm really glad that you're here, and I want you to meditate on these symbols in your hands to know that this is a demonstration of how much Christ loves you, that he gave his body and his blood for you so that you can be with him forever. And as we take this, remember that Christ has paid the debt. He's forgiven the debt. He's purchased you with his blood. And he finds you more valuable than anything. On the night that he was betrayed, he broke bread and said, this is my body given for you. When you eat it, remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup and said, this cup is my blood and the new covenant shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For three minutes, 
I just want us to sit and pray and reflect on this question right here. How much more does he love you? And then we'll close with song.